again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Clement. I'm your host, Acacia Clement. Thanks for joining me today. It is March. It is two-year-old sales season. We are on the cusp of the beginning of the Breeze Show for the OBS March sale. And with that, I want to say a big thank you to OBS, of Calibrator Sale, for their support of this podcast. OBS sells more two-year-olds than any other sales company in the world. The March sale has 833 cataloged this year. There's truly something for everyone in March, a diverse group at all price points. In the March sale, there have been 300 stakes winners since 2018, 67% of which have been on dirt. The OBS two-year-old sales combined account for 14% of the graded stakes placings, finishing in the top three since 2018. On the OBS website, you can find the horse pedigree, an undertack video, and the walking video. A two-year-old buyer is not only buying the horse's potential, but also the expertise of the horsemen that prepare these horses for their future. OBS is an international marketplace. Um, You've seen horses purchased by buyers from 49 of the 50 United States, Korea, Japan, the Middle East, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Europe. The OBS March sale is March 20th to 22 with the Undertack show taking place from the 14th to the 17th. So one of the guests on today's show will be talking quite a bit uh, about the OBS two-year-old sale coming up. Um, And actually the other guest on today's show will be talking about one of the most storied uh, breeding and racing operations in the sport of horse racing. So pretty excited to to have these two gentlemen on today talking about a couple of really different topics, but of course highlighting uh, the upcoming two-year-old sale. We also are right in the midst of Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks prep season as well. So it's a busy time of year with a lot to discuss. So we'll get right into it, kicking things off with expounding a little bit on all of that great information I just gave you on the OBS March two-year-old sale. Thrilled to welcome in my friend Randy Miles, a a two-year-old sales consigner, of course, getting ready for the big two-year-old sales season coming up. Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice. It's nice for you to have me, Acacia. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, it's it's two-year-old sales season. It's that time of year. I know it's really the, the busy time of year for you um, with OBS March uh, just coming up next week. And then, of course, plenty of other sales to look forward to after that. Um, just tell me a little bit uh, about all of the preparation that goes into coming into this season. It's not just you show up with a horse. No, no, it's 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 a funny it, funny preparation. People sometimes don't understand when. Uh, let's just take example my barn, which we have ninety horses, and probably sixty to seventy percent of those are sale horses, and thirty percent will go go straight to the races for their owners. But it, it's a it's it's long. It's quick, but it's also long because it's. Um, it's a lot of breaking and training and then a lot of leg work. So it's a lot of repetition around the racetrack, around the racetrack. And then all of a sudden it's March and it's sales season. And we have 10 horses at the OBS March sale. And we still have 30 getting ready for the April sale. So it's a lot. You, you start out at the farm in the morning and then you finish up at OBS uh, in, in, you know, around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And it's a it's a fast paced morning. 
is what it is. And, but we're surviving. We're on the downhill slope now. We're, we're, um, we're three days and counting from the first, first day of the breeze show. And I know that the, those breeze shows are always a time that's filled with a lot of excitement, anticipation, um, so much stock put into how that horse does breathe, breeze, whether it's an eighth or a quarter. Um, can you explain a little bit about what you do to prep to go for those breeze shows? Because it, it is a different type of preparation for horses going to the sales versus ones going right to the races. Oh, abs- absolutely. Uh, we start out, you know, start out treating all the horses the same. And then, um, it, then we, uh, probably a month prior to the breeze show, um, uh, we have, we start to split the horses up in their breezes, meaning mm-hmm. the race horses will continue to breeze in sets of two or three. And the, the horses going to the two-year-old sales will breeze by themselves. They have to get, they have to start their independence. And so they start there by breezing by themselves. And then we start to quicken the pace up on them. Um, you, you know, they go a little faster each breeze. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, the last breeze before we leave the farm is probably one of their quickest. And then we, it, it's all a setup. You're setting one breeze up to the next breeze and the next breeze. And, and uh, all of a sudden you're here at the, at the sale and they will prep uh, most likely a week out from the breeze show. And it's a, it's a full-fledged 90 to 100% effort so that the horse understands what he's about to do. And uh, it, it's, uh, that's the, the prep breeze at the sale is probably my most nervous time sure. because you're, getting, you're breezing the horse over a new track you're seeing exactly how he's going to respond on that racetrack and that setting. And once he tackles that and shows me he's professional and ready to go, the pressure is somewhat off, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the prep at the breeze show is my no most nervous time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's understandable. And then you have the breeze. And then as people come around to look at horses, to vet them for a young two-year-old at this stage too, um, it it can be a demand mentally and physically. How do you judge which horses can handle it at this stage of the game? Well, right now I I judge them every day. How did they wake (laughs) up? How are they feeling? Um, it's all, we're always judging them at, on an hourly basis mm-hmm. and making sure that they're feeling good. And, um, I'm watching them just, just on a regular training day at this, at the OBS, just watching how they handle themselves. Now it is really funny and it is amazing how fast these horses grow up mm-hmm. and start to handle all the different, uh, different things that you're asking them to do. Um, you know, the scoping part, which they had done when they were yearlings, but you now they're fit and they're feeling good and you're asking them to be scoped. And, and then we're showing them and asking them to, um, you know, remain calm and have composure while we're showing them after they just breeze the fastest that they'll ever breeze in their life. And it is a lot, but I think the buyers are very keen on what we're asking these horses to do and which horses are handling, handling everything. And those are the horses they key in on. They're looking for composure. Mm -hmm. 
And do you think that that plays into choosing which sale to send them to, too? As you mentioned, you have a bigger group coming for April. Um, it, this is the beginning, really, of, of what we'll see with the two-year-olds. How do you choose where those sources will be best highlighted? Absolutely. Uh, the, the way that we choose it is because it's very hard. We have to start choosing which horses are going to go to which sales mm -hmm. in January. And we start trying to figure it all out. Who's going to handle this? Who's going to handle that? And generally, we try to ask the more precocious, more mature horses to go to March. Mm -hmm. And then if, a, if we see a horse that's not hitting their growth spurt right when we need it, it we'll push them back to April. And it's funny that the horses really change as soon as spring starts to come out and, and they'll start to change and mature probably the end of February, the first of March and on into April. And I mean, we see horses changing at the barn right now. They're going sure. to April and they're just blossoming. So it, it's about this time and you have to guess it. You have to guess who's going to blossom. And, but just to be on the safe side, we just pick the bigger, more precocious horses mm -hmm. to go to March. As you said, a group of 10 uh, entered in mm -hmm. the March sale. And as you said, they're over there at OBS now. And uh, we're just a few days away. Can you give us a little run through of, of your group going to this two-year-old sale to kick things off? Sh sure, sure. We, we have a group of 10. And we have probably four standouts in that group of 10. And we're excited to, excited to have them because they're all different in their own way. But it's... it's um, they're exciting. We have um, we have a filly by Gervin who actually had a wonderful weekend past weekend with two fillies winning great at stakes. Yeah. And um, this filly we bought in July, and we bought her off of uh, Brett Jones at Airdrie, and I believe they stand Gervin now. So mm -hmm. we're hoping we can do well. She has a She's um, out of a Mark Valeski mare, very young mare. I think it's her first foal. And then her whole second dam is full of black type winners and um, graded stakes horses. So she has a wonderful pedigree and she seems to love her job and she's very happy over at the sales. So we're hoping all that translates into something really nice. And, you know, we have a, we have a more than ready cult and he's, very exciting too and he's mm -hmm. different in his own way he's a he's a stretchier longer legged uh more than ready and he's out of an unbridled song mare which gives him a little speed and so all you know they're all they're all different and uh that's the fun part about it is they're, they're not one of them are this you know are the same same build they're not mm -hmm. the same build they're all they're all different it's always exciting to see, as you said, the, the change and the development of them, too. And you, you talked about buying a horse to go to a two-year-old sale. Can you tell me a little bit about that process for you as a consigner and trying to, <laughs> to see it in the future, so to speak? Well, I have a partner mm -hmm. that is very, very good at buying horses, and his name is Bo Hunt. Most people, most people out there know him. Mm -hmm. And... He, Bo has been doing this a long time and he and I and my wife are the only ones involved in the buying process. And I'm a horse lover. 
So I think they're all great. So <laughs> it's great to have Bo on my side because he is very strict, very demanding. And um, he just doesn't settle for, for um, mediocrity. Mm -hmm. And he, he can see these horses and how they're going to develop. And, and he does not, he doesn't accept them. And I will love a horse and he will say, no, the horse will not mature the way we want it to and so forth and so on. So um, he, I put a lot of faith in his eye and, and mm -hmm. his judgment. And, and also when it comes down to cost and what we pay, he uh, he's very strict and we, we don't get caught up in overpaying because when we have to sell these horses back, mm -hmm. we have to sell them back um, at a reasonable price because the higher you go, um, the higher you pay, that means the more you've got to sell them for. And our target price when we go back to sell these horses is probably 150 to 250 that's our mm. target that's what we want to sell them for so in order to make money we have to buy those horses for 50 to 100 sure and so it's very you you get upset a lot we yeah. we, we lose our patience <laughs> luckily <laughs> just between the three of us <laughs> so this the the yearling sales are very stressful for us and it's mm -hmm. it, it's funny i'll tell you i am a real people person and I love to do things and go out to dinner and mm -hmm. entertain. When it comes to the yearling sales, we decline all dinners. Mm -hmm. We do not socialize after the sales. We go home and study for the next day. That's how hard it is. Mm -hmm. So it, the, the buying process is for us the, the most difficult part. I was reading an article before coming on to talk to you and you had mentioned how it, in the selling world, it's all about earning trust from people you're <laughs> going to be selling to or, or buying horses to go to the two-year-old sales. Um, expound on that a little bit because it, it really is at the end of the day with those relationships, such an important piece. Well, I, I think a lot of that comes with age and maturity on my part <laughs> and, and really understanding the world that we live in and and most people that are in the horse game understand that there's so many highs and lows that you just have to ride them mm -hmm. and the most important thing to me as i've gotten older in this business is my friendship with all these buyers and trainers and that means more to me than anything at the moment mm -hmm. and is nothing more important to me than to sell one of my friends a good horse. Mm -hmm. And I want to go on that ride with them while they're training and racing that horse. And we've been fortunate to make a lot of friends in this business because of the success of the horses. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the cool part about what we do as an industry is, is we have so many unique people and, and, to enjoy it with these people and meet these new people. And that, that means more to me than selling a horse for a half a million dollars or mm -hmm. the, I want to sell a horse to a friend and the horse go and do well. And, and that's, that's the bottom line, you know, and, and when I say a good horse, it all depends on the level you could sure. sell a guy an allowance horse 
But if he paid the right amount of money and that's what he's expecting, he's tickled to death. Yeah. You know, and, and you just, I just enjoy the ride with people. And most, most of the time it does work. Sometimes it doesn't. And I'm, I take it personal when it doesn't, but the, the fun part is trying to get your friends to believe in you that Mm. this is the right horse and you should try and buy it. And it is interesting too, like you said, I mean, you hope that a a horse sells well, but then you also want to see that horse go on and do good things on the racetrack to back that up. Oh, it's, 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 it's just as much pressure on me as a horse seller as it is on the owner and the trainer, Mm -hmm. you know, that you want that horse to do well. When I put my name on it and I put my fingerprint on that, that horse that you should try and buy it. Um, you know, we all, we don't have crystal balls, but we do have an educated guess that that horse has what it takes. And yes, there's a lot of pressure, but I love, I love when my friends listen to me and, and try. It is amazing. It always, um, always kind of makes me think about how incredible it is that these horses bring everybody together and they take you on such an amazing ride too, and, and do things that you never would have ever thought about. And I owe my whole life, my, my marriage, everything to horses. It, it's amazing what it can do for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, just being friends with your father-in-law and you, and, and, and his family. And I, I'm, I, I grew up a poor country boy in Virginia. I, I'm, I get to deal with some of the funnest people that I would have never met in my life. And it's all because of the horses. Was this kind of position selling horses at two-year-old sales and prepping babies and things like that? Was that always something you had a passion for? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Acacia, I grew up around it. My father did it. My Mm -hmm. father did it when I was growing up, but my father did it sort of as a supplement to his income he he loved horses he loved to ride and this was way back when the two-year-old sales just were coming around and he he would buy two or three yearlings every year and sell them I never ever thought that I would be in the business never and um I grew up and I just, all of a sudden I started to see the money and understand the money. Mm -hmm. And when I bought my first two horses, it changed my life because I was responsible for those two horses Mm -hmm. and we sold them not for very much money, but we made a profit and it just snowballed from there. But it, they taught me responsibility at an age where I really needed responsibility. And that's when I dove into it head over heels. And I really, I owe a lot of people, a lot of credit along the way that have gotten me to this point. And it's, you know, it's been a fun ride. And would I go back and change anything? Not one thing. I'm a very fortunate person. How rewarding is it to see a horse that you've had high hopes for go through the ring and then go on to do big things on the racetrack and follow that? (laughs) It is, again, going back to just sharing that with your friends. Um, You know, I can, so I can use one example. Uh, Two or three years ago, we had uh, a Mizzen Mast filly that, um, 
we sold at the OBS April sale. And we didn't pay a whole lot of money for her, but we really loved the filly. We, we, we purchased her for maybe 30, 32,000. And, uh, we, uh, my partner, Bo and I just loved her. And our, my friends, Alex, uh, Solis and Jason Litt came up mm -hmm. to me at the April sale and said, what do you, you think of the Philly? And I said, we absolutely love her. They bought her and they took us on the most amazing ride with, racing her in California and then on to Australia and watching those races in Australia. It, that, that is so much fun when it turns out. And, mm -hmm. and there's a number of them. Um, we sold, we sold the greens, a horse, um, a DJ stable. Mm -hmm. We sold them a horse. Um, his name was helium. Well, he won the Tampa Bay Derby and took them to the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Those things are, I mean, it's like we own them. We, it's like we still own them. We didn't get to go to the Derby, even though, even though Bo was invited. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's those rides where even when you're watching the Kentucky Derby, you, you feel like you still own them. Right. You know, you're telling all your friends, oh, you know, my horse. It's, you still call it my horse, you know, and, and it, 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 it means a lot. It's so special to see and that. Yeah, that was a really fun horse as well. But there's uh, for all the highs, there's even more lows in this game, too, as we all know. And I'm sure with each sale, it, it, it keeps you humble as ever and, and teaches you a lot, too. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've t taken away from being involved with two year old sales? You, you just said it. Just <laughs> stay humble. And then it's, it's not over until it's over. Um, you know, especially when you're selling and I, I know I can speak for a lot of the major consigners out there that have so many horses, you just, it, even when your horse breezes and you've got high hopes for that breeze and that quick time, and it's not over until you get back to the barn and your horse gets the, um, radiographs taken and read and, and your report comes back and, you, you know, you're just, you cannot breathe. You can't breathe until it is all over. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. A lot of a lot of yearling owners, breeders, uh, pen hook, pen hookers, so forth. They come to us and they say, you know, we're thinking about skipping the yearling sales and selling, uh, selling these horses as two-year-olds. And I said, I highly uh, I, 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 I do not think that is a good plan. And, and they said, why? And I said, you guys only see the good part. <laughs> I said, you don't know how risky all this is. And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really risky venture. Now, yes, the rewards are great when it, when it works, but it's, it's a risky game. And I always advise selling, if you've got an opportunity to sell a good horse, sell it at mm -hmm. the yearling sale because it's all, too risky you're also involved in in prepping horses to go right to the races for certain mm -hmm. uh, for certain owners um and as mentioned a, a different type of training as they come along uh can you talk a little bit about that and and um and well, what well, that's it, taught it, you as well well it, it correlates back to the two-year-old sales also is mm -hmm. is you know when you're when you're prepping young horses for the races you can take your time and, uh, you know, if a horse has a setback, if he gets an abscess, even if he gets a shin or even juvenile tendonitis, which is something that pops up 
you know, quite often. You can, you can stop on those horses and give those horses the time that they need to get over it. And you're not on a time clock. When you're going to the two-year-old's ale, you know, everything is a time clock and, sure. and, and, and it doesn't stop ticking. And so you're trying to constantly fight the small little battles. But with the racehorse, it's so much more pleasant to just have those horses. They breeze, they breeze a little slower. They breeze farther. Mm-hmm. You're working with them in the gate. And, and you know, you're, you're having them ready for your friends to take over at the racetrack. So you want to do a good job because, you know, your, your, your image is there on the line to do a good job. But, but the process is so much easier because you get to go slower and farther and you get to watch these horses mature at the, at a proper rate, instead of asking them to, to just go harder at the two-year-old sales. Your wife, Lisa, um, is a big part of the operation too. And she's a veterinarian and, and she's awesome. Um, do you think Thank that her you. involvement and, and what maybe she's brought from, from the vet perspective has played a big piece in the success as well? Well, she, yes, she has, because without her and, and, and she feels vested when we were at the yearling sales, she's probably stressing more than Bo and I, mm-hmm. she's, um, you know, each radiograph she looks at, she's looking and trying to, you know, it, and there's a lot of judgment calls when you're at the yearling sale and she's trying to make the correct call so that we can either bid or don't bid on those horses. And that is really huge because some things, um, they don't bite us quite as hard because Lisa has done the work and Mm -hmm. not let us buy those iffy horses that maybe, uh, not, not that there won't be, um, two-year-old and training horses, but maybe just need the time to grow up and they're, and they won't make the sales, but they'll be fine racehorses. She's really, um, helped us in that aspect. Then when we get to the farm, she's such a good lameness veterinarian Mm -hmm. and not that there's not a ton of them here in Ocala, but to have your teammate, um, on your side and take the extra effort and to figure out what issues that these, the horses are dealing with is so, it's, it's so reassuring when, you've got somebody like that on your team Mm -hmm. being based in ocala and now with the march sale in particular at obs being a little bit longer and kind of putting a little bit more emphasis on the two-year-old sales we're seeing in ocala how is that for a for a consigner that's based there it's kind of like working out of your own backyard (laughs) well it it is especially when you've got the two sales back to back sure you know i'm i'm originally from virginia and love Virginia and um, would love to work my way back to Virginia. But being in Ocala for the last 13, 14 years, I will tell you, makes things so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, My eyes were wide open when I moved here and just couldn't believe how good these horsemen were. And so being here has taught me a lot and it's made it so easy the infrastructure that's here the Mm -hmm. grooms the riders everything is here so then you have the sales companies that are here and just like we're saying most of these uh, consigners at the march sale are running back and forth from their farm to obs to 
train at the farm and train at OBS. Mm. And, oh man, it makes it so easy. Yeah. So easy. So 10 going to March and you said 30 to April, anything, a little tease you can give us for the April sale coming up? <laughs> well, I can tell you just off the top of my head without even looking at my sales consignment for April, that we have been very impressed with the Catalina cruisers. So I hope Lansin is listening and give them a <laughs> bump with, uh, with their sire, but yeah, Catalina cruisers, we have three or four of them that seem to be very precocious, um, like their job, very well-minded horses. So, uh, we're hoping that they step up and show themselves. And, um, you know, we have we have some audibles going. The, those are two freshman sires that mm -hmm. we like right now. Um, other than that, um, not much without looking at the list, Acacia. Um, I just know that we've got a, a, a nice group. Uh, actually, it was funny. I just talked to my partner, Bo, before I got on the Zoom. And um, and he was telling me, you know, we've, it's, it's pleasant, pleasant this year. Year. that's what he said it's pleasant this year because um we don't have any bumps <laughs> he says i don't know how many really he says i don't know how many really really fast horses we're gonna have he said but thank god we don't have any bums <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate goal right <laughs> that's right <laughs> so we're looking forward to april and that consignment is, is shaping up but mm -hmm. um the pressure the pressure right now is on the march sale mm -hmm. and you know, we've got those those three or four nice horses going over there and and they're all owned by different owners. Mm -hmm. And so you just want to do a good job for them. You know, I, I want to represent the horses as best I can. Hope the horses breeze well, come out of it OK, and that we can sell them. And, and if the horses step up and act the way I think they can, then I can push them on my my friends. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> cannot wait uh, to see them. Um, best of luck with the breeze sale coming up and with the OBS sale, uh, March sale in general. Randy, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. And Casey, looking forward to seeing you. So happy to welcome in here, Michael Banahan, director of Bloodstock for Godolphin. And Michael, you and I are just chatting about um, kind of the, the domination, so to speak, of Godolphin, the global success, of course, but um, it was really reflected in the Eclipse Awards the last couple of years here in the States with what Godolphin has done. What a terrific run you all have been on. It's been a fabulous run uh, the last few years, and uh, we don't take it uh, lightly. Uh, a lot of hard work. Uh, by a lot of people uh, on the farms in Kentucky to to start out and make that happen. And uh, especially, especially grateful that uh, nearly all the horses that we have run on the track and winning those awards are all homebreds as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, plenty of them by our own stallions as well. So it's been especially grateful. And uh, uh, we're, really, we're really enjoying the run at the moment and just hope that it can continue. I know you've been involved with the operation for quite a while um, and just a few years ago or just recently I should say moved up to the director of bloodstock role can you tell us a little bit about what that involves yeah so I sort of oversee uh, any of the bloodstock that we have in the US so from the mating process all the way through to um, checking in on on folds when they're born and uh, following through their yearly stage and then on to uh, where they're getting broken down in either Florida or Kentucky and all the way through the racing pros uh, prospects. And so I think it gives me a good uh, 
overview and hopefully brings value to uh, follow those horses all the way through their their uh, careers from when they're um, uh, even from the mating process all the way through their racing career as well. So um, hopefully by doing that, we can continue to have some uh, some success down the road as well. Mm-hmm. Godolphin is obviously a, a really storied operation. It's put a lot into the sport in the past and, and a lot of success as well. Um, but you mentioned at the top about how some of the big horses recently, Essential Quality coming to mind, uh, who's now standing with you too as a stallion, a homebred. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and a bit of the shift that we've seen in really putting a lot of the, the emphasis and the quality into those homebreds? Well, uh, and it's not as if we haven't tried to doing that over the course of the last <laughs> 20 years as well but uh we've got certainly hit a rich vein of form uh the last few years and i think uh you know i, I go back to uh our matings and we've really expanded on the amount of stallions that we've used over the over the course of the last few years and uh been very particular about which mares go to which particular stallion as well and we've always had a, a roster of stallions and um sometimes we probably went down the path that we use our own our own stallions maybe too much at one time mm-hmm. and uh, so having that diversity uh certainly helped us and you know some of those mares that we've bought or families that we've developed over the course of the last uh 20 30 years um by be really adhering to the qualities in those families and uh, and even with some of them maybe not as not as useful as we would have liked to have been through mm-hmm. a generation and, and maybe skip a generation, but really felt like the family was very important and have come back and rewarded us down the road. Um, uh, some of those um, good horses we have at the moment are either out of maybe winners or just or maybe some of them are unraced mares or just small stakes winners. But... Uh, the family you go back through generations and it's very very strong families and I think they've come to the fore so uh, um, I, I think it all goes back to the quality of the family as well and 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 trying to cull the non-productive mares sure. and uh, the ones that maybe confirmationally shouldn't we feel shouldn't have been in our Brigmar band and uh, so we've just got a stronger core group of mares I think that we've ever had and uh I think we're uh, getting the rewards on the racetrack with with, with the with the horses that have, co- uh, have come out over the last couple of years as well. And surely everybody has their own their own theories, their own process, and I know a lot of it is is instinct as well. And you mentioned the strength of the pedigrees and the families, but but is there a certain process that you go through when deciding the matings for a certain horse and and choosing what might uh, best elevate a mare or to highlight a stallion? Well, I think first and foremost. Uh, uh, what I start out with is confirmation mm-hmm. and which mares match up with the best value from a confirmational standpoint is uh, first and foremost. And then going through, um, you know, which brood mare sires are working well with particular stallions as well and whether they need more speed injected into the family or whether there's some more stamina needed there as well. So uh, I was just talking to a couple of the uh, Flying Start students who are on the on their US part of their program at the moment and just talk about the 
the uh, the balance between art and science of breeding and mm. uh, and I asked them the question what they thought was more important art or science <laughs> and both of them had, had said art and, and uh, was their answer you know so I think it's as you said there's some of that's instinct as well mm-hmm. um I think the value of us knowing the families through generations and the qualities that they bring be it from a confirmational standpoint from a temperament standpoint uh, and all those things are components that go into that big mixing ball so I don't think there's the I, I think the, the strongest one I always go with is confirmation mm-hmm. confirmation is not working for them uh, even even if the nicks are great and it looks great on paper I will I will be reluctant to go down that road unless it's, unless it works confirmationally because mm-hmm. uh you know, when you get those horses to the racetrack and they can't stay sound or they can't perform to their athletic ability because of um, some confirmational flaws, there's no point in, in doing that mating. Mm-hmm. And as far as the stallions do go that we see um, in Kentucky right now, um, focusing on the, the U.S. ones for Godolphin, you have kind of the old stalwart, so to speak, with the, the Medaglia d'Oro, the street sense, the hard spun, but quite a few new stallions as well. Um, and some of those that are that are homebreds like Essential Quality in Maxfield. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the new stallions and some of the excitement over there at Darley? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Maxfield sort of got the ball rolling a few years ago and he was our first grade one winning mm-hmm. colt in quite a while when he won the Breeders' Maturity. And uh, obviously, being by street sense, uh, we were very excited about him. And uh, he was always a, a fan fra- a fan favourite as well and uh, spent a lot of time here at Keeneland. So um, we we saw plenty of him when he was with Bren- Brendan Walsh's barn here. And uh, he's a big, good-looking, beautiful horse, you know, and he, a lot of character, a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, star quality about mm-hmm. him, so he he was always he was always a uh, you know sort of a fan favorite from um, from people outside the industry as well as us internally as well, and uh, you know he was lucky where he, he had a, a couple of injuries when he was racing, but he always bounced back and um, uh, overcame those injuries, and uh, you know he, he rarely rarely let us down at all, and and for him to go out on on a high win in the Clark. Um, at the end of his uh, four-year career, was fantastic, and we were we were over the moon when he was able to do that. And uh, you know, Grade One winning two-year-old, and then and and sort of felt like you know we missed out on the whole Derby experience with him mm-hmm. because uh, every time we got him going, he missed out on it. So yeah. he, you know, we would have been we would have been high on him and thought you know he liked Churchill Downs as well, so we thought <laughs> he, he would he would have a good horse for doing that. And so he was sort of starting the ball rolling then. You know, very, very fortunate that we had essential quality coming through straight after him. And, you know, he was an exceptional horse. You know, he was, you know, champion two-year-old, champion three-year-old. Um, the only time he got beaten was in the Derby and, and the Breeders' Cup. And, uh, you know, he never let us down and gave us a couple of great days at, you know, the Belmont and the Travers and uh, winning the Breeders' Cup as a two-year-old as well. And, you know, the fascinating thing about essential quality is when he went when he went down to Florida to be broken mm-hmm. he never had a day off he was never sick he was never injured uh when he went into Brad Cox's barn he he never he we we never had to do anything with him which is so unusual for those horses especially speaking at that level but he might might have been you know 
made of iron. And um, we, um, so just, you know, he, he was a hard, tough horse and never, never let, let it down, be it every morning or in the afternoon when he got to the racetrack as well. So, um, you know, we're, we were super excited to uh, be able to bring him back to, to uh, John Abel and both he and Maxfield actually were, both of them were born on the farm here as well. Wow. And they were the first stallions that uh, have come back through the whole cycle from being born on. on and we had three uh, fallen divisions at the time. And uh, uh, for them to come back on the farm that they were born on was uh, uh, very special for us as well. And then with the new guys coming through this year, um, you know, Speaker's Corner, we we were uh, super excited about him. And uh a uh, fast horse, another another street sense, uh, out of a Bernardini mare, which uh, has been, you know, we we've we felt that's been we've farmed that fairly well <laughs> over the last couple of years, and uh, you know, obviously Bernardini has developed into a super uh, broodmare sire, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a nice niche with street sense as well now. So we're we're taking advantage of that, and um, you know, he was, you know, he was always a, a well regarded horse when he was with. Bill Mott and uh, uh, just took us a little bit of time even though he ran great numbers uh, in allowance races that we were anxious last uh, winter and spring just to see him do that in greatest stakes races and he had a fantastic uh, spring and early summer and uh, you know he won the Carter handicap I think he still was the second highest buyer speed figure over the last few years and I think Flight Line was the only horse that had mm-hmm. ran a higher buyer speed figure so we, we, he was a super special horse and uh, unfortunately he ran in against a couple of bears <laughs> in, in, in the Met Mile and, and, and yeah. in, in the John Aaron last year in, in flight line and life was good so he was a great horse and um, we had uh, a lot of fun obviously with Mr. Guide as well when um, and when he went to represent America in, in the Dubai World Cup mm-hmm. and he was our first US based horse and uh, it was a great thrill for um, uh, Mike Stidham as well to be able to um, show his talent on an international stage as well where you know most of his runners be domestic domestically uh, done and uh, so it was a great thrill for him and great to see him being able to do that so you know we're we're, we're very excited about these young horses and um, uh, and I think the most exciting thing about having them come back uh, is that they're all homebreds you know so uh, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a great position to be in, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll have another horse entering the stallion barn next year when Cody's wish retires, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and another homebred as well. So it's uh, it's been exciting, for sure. I want. I'm glad you mentioned Cody's wish because he is a horse that I wanted to ask about. I think his Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile win um, was one of the most emotional uh, stories of horse racing of the year, and obviously um, he's been a really fun horse to follow. Whether you you are a racing fan year round or not, just because of the story and because of the meaning of his name. But an absolutely gorgeous horse too. I actually got him to got to see him training at Payson Park the other day, coming back to Belmont. But um, can you tell us a little bit about some excitement? for this coming year and just what that horse meant with, with the story and for, for young Cody Dorman, the banner that he was flying. Look, it was a, it was a fantastic story and it still is and it's still running. And um, we're fortunate enough that we've been able to team up with uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation when they have that at Keeneland every year. And we were teamed up with Cody and his family. And, and every year we will bring... Uh, 
whatever the recipient it is for to make a wish out to uh, one of our farms to give them a tour and show them around. And some people enjoy that and some people you never hear from again that he did joyous <laughs> on the day. And um, But he's, they, that family, uh, the Norman family, really enjoyed uh, uh, coming out onto the farm and um, it seemed like, you know, when, you know, of all the foals that we had, this particular one was brought out uh, by Danny Mulvey, who was our Gainsborough manager at the time. And uh, um, with that connection that they had with the horse and, um, you know, it's, you know, it seemed like the whole story was written in the stars mm-hmm. where he didn't win in New York when he was, you know, odds on favourite a couple of times and he he didn't win until he came down to Churchill and then the family could be there for the, when he broke his maiden that day. And, and then for the Breeders' Cup, you know, when you go back through the whole year then and the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland where they could participate and, and um, you know, Breeders' Cup were great in Keeneland as well making an access and availability mm-hmm. for them to be able to uh, get out and see the horse as well and, and for Bill as well uh, you know you have leading the horse up to you know his, his biggest race of the year and making time uh, for the family as well was fantastic and they so were so appreciative of it as well uh, that everyone went out of their way but I think the great story about it was that for people that have challenges and, and mm-hmm. you know we don't even know what type of challenges they have to go through every day but for them to give that much joy um, and people could see that and I think people that are in those situations or families in that situation they give them a lot of hope that they could have good days in the future as well so I think the, the hope that they gave more than anything else uh, to to people that um, families that are having major challenges uh, through illnesses and uh, 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 was uh, was fantastic as much as anything else, you know. It's amazing and, what horses can do for us, for sure. Oh, absolutely, and you know we see it every day with with uh, you know riding for the handicapped mm. or uh, the veterans uh, and the connection that they have, and uh, so you no, know, we and you know we probably get used to it being around them every day, but they're special animals and mm. uh, um, they're. Um, they certainly serve a fantastic purpose uh, for people that are having difficult days. And, um, so with Cody, yeah, look, he's he's coming back. He's uh, uh, he had a nice winter break uh, mm. and and stayed with Bill the whole time down in in Payson after the Breeders' Cup. And uh, he had his first little breeze last week and uh, steadily uh, going to wrap that up. And he's doing well. And you know, I saw him in January and. You know he's he's filled out again. He's a big, good-looking horse anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he's really filled into a mature older horse now. So we will um look and try to get him to Churchill Downs for the Churchill Downs Handicap Derby weekend, and that'll be uh that'll be where we're starting out with him. I'm so excited to see him back this year. He really is a special horse, like you said. Um, any other things you can think of that uh, we should be looking forward to? I know that uh, Godolphin always seems to have some great horses for us to follow, whether it's uh, ones here in the state or or coming in from Europe to raid the big grade one races. Uh, but any things that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I think uh, um, we you know we obviously have a couple of nice fillies on the Oaks uh, Trail this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty mischievous down the fairgrounds and wet paint in Oaklawn, and the plan is for them to continue uh, down at, at both of those racetracks and wet paint run the fantasy and uh, pretty mischievous in the fairgrounds Oaks and uh, 
hopefully they come through both of those races and we'll have two fillies in the Oaks, which is fantastic. We've never won the Oaks before. We've had a couple of placed horses in there. Uh, so we're really looking forward to them. And uh, we have a couple of nice horses that haven't reached the, the headlines just yet. Um, we nice ghost have a horse down in, in fairgrounds called Banishing, mm-hmm. uh, who we quite like, and uh, with a nice maiden um, that ran a couple of weeks ago for Brad Cox uh, called First Mission. And he looks like he has, has some talent. He ran a nice race in his maiden. Um, and then we'll have, you know, we'll have a couple of, uh, um, you know, nice older, older horses coming back. We have a nice filly called Carmel Swirl who will come mm-hmm. up hopefully and running the Madison and um Philly out of New York, uh Frost Point that will hopefully run the double dog there. And we've uh Madarea who was um the Acorn winner last mm-hmm. year and won the Bowman of the Eight Bells. Uh hopefully she'll come back and we'll uh try to dis this staff Churchill Downs on a Derby weekend as well. So we have a we have a nice few few horses uh to come back and obviously with Proxy who ran in the Suddenly you handicap last week ran well. Um, you know, another couple of strides that he would have got he might have got up to win the race. But anyway, he ran a big race and uh, hopefully we'll we'll uh, target some nice prizes with him through the year and and we realized uh turf horse as well called Sampton, who was uh won the Arlington Million and the Woodford up in uh, Churchill last year and uh, so he'll be coming back in the springtime as well. So we've we've plenty of ammunition and uh mm. I think uh, Charlie Appleby will be uh, keen to bring over a team of horses um, to America again um, um, this year for, for those nice big turf races and the uh, possibility that we'll have a few coming over for Keeneland in the springtime as well. So uh, plenty to look forward to. And, you know, nearly all, all those horses that uh, we had in the Breeders' Cup last year, they're all in training again this year. Uh, and so we, we should have a we should have plenty of ammunition to uh, fire this year again. A lot to look forward to for sure. And just to wrap up, um, as as I mentioned at the top, Cod, a long history with Godolphin and with the operation. And um, you even mentioned the the flying start. Uh, my husband a graduate as well. And just an, another example of everything that that Sheikh Mohammed and the whole Godolphin team have done to contribute to horse racing. Can you reflect a little bit on just Godolphin's place in the sport, in the industry, and just how meaningful it really is, all that all that they've done, all they've created? Well, for me personally, obviously, it's been a fantastic uh, operation to be involved with for the majority of my career. I've been uh, uh, with Godolphin for nearly 30 years, and uh, both in England and America, in America mainly. And um, and I think we will will we, I, I doubt we'll ever see anyone as influential in the turbid industry globally as um, Sheikh Mohammed and Godolphin have been, and um, not only for people that work for Godolphin, but the wider industry as well. I think uh, we've all benefited from it, uh, be it competitors or colleagues as well and uh, uh, I think we're so blessed that we I anyway or a lot of us had a big part of our career when he was so involved in the industry uh, worldwide and uh, I think he's reshaped it um, both you know mainly in Europe and, and, and in America as well 
and I I think we're just so fortunate to have that. And as you mentioned, like the the legacy that will left be left behind with the Flying Star program mm-hmm. uh, will be incredible. We've got you know there's been unbelievable success rate of of um, people that are you know taken to the fore of the industry all across the world, which is what. Uh, the program was designed to do was to mm-hmm. uh, try and you know c- uh, get 12 young people that had a major passion for the industry that wanted a career in it and give them the opportunity to explore all different a- a- avenues on a on a scholarship program for two years um, through all the operations be it in Europe America or in the southern hemisphere and I think you know every time you look around um you see leaders in the industry now that have gone through the program and uh, uh, it's a massive reflection on the commitment that Sheikh Mohammed as a gift to the industry and it's not as if you know it was all people that were kept internally to work for themselves and most of the people uh, are either working for themselves or uh, working for different operations Mm -hmm. or have their own operations so uh, it's a It'll be an unbelievable legacy that uh, will be left behind with the, the Dolphin Flying Star program. It truly is amazing. And um, it, it's always fun to follow the Godolphin Blue. Best of luck with the upcoming year, Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Yeah, no problem, Keisha. Uh, my pleasure. And that wraps up another episode of In the Ring. Big thank you to Randy Miles and Michael Banahan. Uh, make sure you follow the OBS March sale coming up. Again, the Breeze Show kicks off uh, March 14th to 17th, and then the sale itself will take place March 20th to 22nd. Um, I'll be there in Ocala, so if you're coming for the sale, make sure you come on over and say hello. I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to um to see these two-year-olds up close. It's a lot of legwork. It's uh, a lot of um, pressure to try and hopefully find the right one. It's a lot of walking around. It can be very hot, but it can also be very, very rewarding. The sales are really fun and excited to see as the two-year-olds start to blossom this time of year. Big thank you to OBS for their support of In The Ring. As always, please feel free to share this episode, uh, share this podcast with anybody you think would find it interesting and let me know if there are any topics you'd be curious to learn a little bit more about too. I'll see you next time on In The Ring. Thanks a lot, everyone.